Amen, amen. Good to see you guys. Boy, y'all are in a singing mood today. <laughs> How about if I just sing my sermon? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, y'all just think I can sing it faster than I can preach it. That's why y'all are saying that. That's probably not the case, you know. But anyway, here we go. Our Mark chapter 8 is where we are. While you're finding your place there, let me just say that there are two ways to preach an expository message. One I am more sympathetic with than the other. And that one is to take one paragraph, one story, one pericope, and just mine that thing for some of the eternal truths that it contains. Another way is to back out and take a larger portion of Scripture and kind of look at it thematically. And uh, I do that less often, but today is one of those days when it's almost necessary to do it. So the passage we're reading today is a little bit more lengthy than we are used to. But nonetheless, uh, the best thing that you are going to hear this day, maybe even this week, is what we're about to read right now. So let's listen to what God's Word says, beginning in Mark chapter 8, verse number 1. The Bible says, In those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples and said to, him, to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. Let me just stop right here. Man, it always grabs me how Jesus knows His audience. How do you think He knew some of them came from a great distance? He had probably been doing more than just preaching. He'd probably been in the crowd, fellowshipping, talking with people. Hey, who are you? Tell me your name. Where are you from? And those types of things. So he got to know these people in the period of three days that they were with him. By the way, he said, they've been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. He felt compassion. How many of you have been with him more than three days? Huh? You know what I'm saying? Is he going to take care of you? You better believe he is. All right, let's get back to the task at hand. Uh, verse number four, and his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to the disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have any more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, Twelve. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, Seven. And he was saying to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored, and began to see everything clearly. And he sent, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Well, how many of you remember this old commercial from long ago? Well, that's one version. My favorite version says, okay. <laughs> this is the last time. My favorite version of that says, okay, one more time. This is your brain, and this is your brain on drugs. Well, I'm sure that's how Jesus feels with us sometimes, and that's really what this entire narrative about. This entire narrative is kind of a recapitulation or a restatement almost verse by verse of what we have already seen and what Mark has already reported. In fact, it's so exact until liberal scholars say that Mark made a mistake here and included some of the same material twice, kind of forgot where he was and just kind of put a different spin on it. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. I've, I've, I've written some verse references on the whiteboard and one day we're going to get high tech and not need to do this but until then the professor is going to come out in me on Sunday morning all right here we go look at these themes that take place and if you don't believe me when you get home take your Bible and look at this and see the perfect parallel in these portions of scripture in chapter 6 of Mark verses 31 through 44 and chapter 8 verses 1 through 9 we have the feeding of a multitude. So in chapter 6, we have feeding of 5,000. And then in chapter 8, he opens with the feeding, miraculous feeding of 4,000. And then in chapter 6, verses 45 through 46, and notice there are no blanks here. This is just straight, straight through the text. 
45 through 46, and then verse number 18, uh, we have a lake crossing. And then in 7, 1 uh, through 23, and 8, 11 through 13, what we have is a dispute with Pharisees. 724 uh, through uh, 30, and then 814 through 21, we have a discussion about bread. Then in 731 through 36 and 822 through 26, we have a miraculous healing. Then finally, to close out this section, in, in chapter 7, verse 37, and then 827 through 38, we have a confession of faith. Now check that out. That is far too precise to be a coincidence. You see what Mark is doing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is saying this, okay, I know y'all didn't get it the first time, so let me lay it out one more time. So he backs up and he collects the material because Jesus did so many things in three years until John tells us if everything that he did were recorded, the entire world wouldn't be big enough to contain the books. So Mark backs up and he goes through it one more time wanting us to get this. So you understand now why the title of my message today is okay. One more time. Because watch me. Those disciples didn't get it. They were there. They were eyewitnesses. But before we throw off too hard on the disciples for being lame brains, let me just ask you, how many of you before today have read the book of Mark dozens of times and you've never seen this? So before we go to throwing off on the disciples, we may ought to throw off on ourselves. So here we go. One more time. Let's make sure we get it. Now notice what it is that, uh, that, that is really going on here and what Jesus is kind of chiding them about is their lack of understanding and their lack of spiritual perception. So just why is it that they didn't get it and why is it that you and I still don't get it today the way we ought to get it? And I think that's what this entire block of Scripture is about. So let's look at this entire block and see if we can come to some conclusions. I think one of the first things this passage teaches us is that sometimes we can't see because of a previous miracle. A previous miracle. Now, there's a couple things I want to say about this because you can certainly understand Jesus is chiding them here for not getting it. And he had already done all of this stuff in the exact order before and they, they didn't get it. Well, here's a couple of reasons why sometimes a previous miracle has a tendency to kind of blind us. Number one, because of the similarity of God's blessings. Now here's the deal. 
I do know that God is very creative. I mean, there is no end, no limit on His creativity. I mean, that's why there can be uh, approaching 7 billion people alive on this planet today and not a one of them have the same fingerprint. Woo! That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, have you ever taken notice of a single snowflake? I mean, it's hard to catch one in Bonifay. But I have caught some before, TJ, in Illinois. And you look at those things and, and, and all of them are different. And think about how many there are. So yeah, God, God's creativity is limitless. But let me also hurry and hasten to say that sometimes God does things just alike. Does He not? Now, that can be good and that can be bad. Sometimes the similarity of God's blessings, just like here, just like this recapitulation, this repetition of these same themes sometimes tends to blind us and if you don't believe it you can ask yourself why have I never noticed this thematic recapitulation between Mark 6 and Mark 8. Exact similarity but yet sometimes we miss it. But also a previous miracle can sometimes blind us to what God is doing not only because of the similarity of God's blessings but also because of our familiarity with God's blessings. I mean sometimes we're just too familiar with stuff and sometimes we do expect you know God to do things the same way and sometimes you know all of these things impinge upon us and, 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 and our familiarity can sometimes blind us. Do you know that we have a tendency to take things for granted? And listen to me, believer. We handle the holy on a daily basis. And it's very, very easy for us to take it with a grain of salt and our familiarity to overlook what God is doing in this big picture. And we are, we're guilty of taking so many of God's blessings for granted because we're so familiar with the fact that He's a good and gracious God and has poured out blessings upon us. We just think that they're ours by entitlement or something. Hey, last week, Heather and I were out. Dr. John filled in, did a great job. We listened to him on YouTube or whatever that thing is. Heather just pulls it up and says, hey, look at this. <laughs> I don't even know. Couldn't even find it probably. But anyway, uh, thank you, Dr. John, for covering for me. Uh, you, you don't lack for anything when Dr. John covers for me. I know that. Um, so Heather and I went to a church last week. And can I say I love you? I said, when I get back to grace, I'm not going to complain about anything or anybody for at least three months. Give me three months, all right? <laughs> but here's what we may ought to do. About every three months, you may ought to get out there and go, let me, let me, no, I'm not going to say that, but you just get out there and look for a church, huh? And by golly, you'll realize what God's doing at Grace Church and that He is assembling a unique congregation and a group of people down here and he's, 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 he's working in our midst and familiarity can cause us to take that for granted and come in down here sometimes and rather than being focused on the great things that God's doing in our midst, complain because the air condition ain't right. You know what I mean? So anyway, it, I mean that happens to all of us. It does. So look, familiarity... 
when it's taken away, you appreciate it a whole lot more. But anyway, these guys here may have been blinded a little bit because of a previous miracle. They'd already been down this road. The similarity and the familiarity caused them to lose a little bit of their spiritual perception. But let's get to the good preaching in this passage, can we? You might have to get another preacher to do some good preaching from this passage. I don't know. But it's in there. Here we go. Sometimes we can't see because of a preoccupied mind. Sometimes we can't see because of a previous miracle, but other times we can't see because of a preoccupied mind. Well, that stands to reason, Pastor Richie, but what are we preoccupied with? Well, I think number one here in verses 14 through 16, we see that sometimes we're preoccupied with material things. Material things. Now, notice what these disciples did. They forgot to take bread with them. How can you do that? How many loaves, how many baskets full were taken up and all they were able to snag was one loaf? Well, on one hand, you can't blame them. They've got the bread maker with them. Why carry something that he can make fresh if he wants to? Out of nothing. But here they are, and Jesus begins to speak on a spiritual plane to them in verse number 15 about watching out for the leaven of the Pharisees. They think he's talking about material, physical bread, and they wonder about bread. They totally missed it. And boy, that kind of exasperated Jesus because then he said to them, Why are you discussing bread? He's speaking spiritually. They're thinking materially. Why? Because they had a preoccupied mind that was zeroed in on the material things of life. Now, can I say to you that one of the enemies of our spirituality is materialism? It just is. And when our mind is pre preoccupied with the physical, spiritual, be able to have clear spiritual vision, I promise you. Let me illustrate it to you like this. Uh, not long ago, I was going to town. I was going to meet one of my pastor friends at a, in a city, Twixt and Tween, both of us. And we both had to drive a couple hours. And he told me where we were going to meet. We're going to meet at a chicken place. And he said, it's right downtown on the main drag. You can't miss it. So I get into the city and I'm on main drag and I'm looking for a chicken place. And I'm going down main drag and all of a sudden, my goodness, there was a John Deere megastore. Now when I say megastore, I mean this place. Look, I almost run into the back of somebody. Because when I went past it, I was like this. I was just drawn. I mean, you know how it is. My weakness in life is John Deere tractors and Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> but this was John Deere. And my, my vision, when I was going down that road, my vision just whoop, went to that John Deere place and I was like this. And when it got out of sight, I turned back around and started going again. Well, I get about three or four miles out of town. I mean, I done left the city plainly and I said, well, there was no chicken place in this town. So I called my buddy. I said, hey, man, where was the chicken place? I missed it. He said, where are you? And I told him, he said, turn around and come back. Now it's going to be on your right. You can't miss it. So I'm driving down Main Street again. And I come up, and as soon as I get into that view of that John Deere tractor sign, son, I'm zoned in on green and yellow. And I ride by it again. 
I get out of town that way. And I called him and said, son, I'm sorry, there is no chicken place in this town. He says, yes, there is. It's right next door to the John Deere place. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I mean, it was right there, but I was so focused on, on that green paint until I was oblivious to the fact that there was even a chicken place in the city. Look, that's exactly how we are. When you are focused on material things, I promise you, you're going to miss what God's doing in your life. You're going to miss it. That's all there is to it. It's going to go right past it. When we are preoccupied with material things, this leaves us with no spiritual perception. No spiritual perception. And can I say to you, I've been doing this now for over 30 years, and man, I've seen this happen countless times where God begins to do something in somebody's life that's rather miraculous. He's putting them on a path to being who He wants them to be, accomplishing what He wants to accomplish in their life, and all of a sudden the devil will pop up something that they're weak in. A job promotion. Out of town. To cause them to unplug completely from their church where God is at work in their life to go chase after a dollar because they've got that materialistic eye. You see what I'm saying? Man, when you focus on the material more than the spiritual, and look, I've been doing this 30 years and I'm just now learning this. Here's what Dr. Allen won't do again. He won't move somewhere without knowing something about the spirituality of that place. And the, now, I'll do, I'll do that for on missions. I'll move where there's no church in the jungle of Brazil to reach the Quilombolas, but I'm not doing it in Alabama. You hear me? I've had to drive 150 miles to get to Grace. That's what I do. But it doesn't matter what it is. Don't let spirit, the, the material, blind you to the spiritual, what God's doing in your life. That's why those old boys were blind, because they were focused, they were preoccupied with material things. But number next, not only could they not see because of a preoccupied mind, preoccupied with material things, but sometimes we are preoccupied with malicious things. Malicious. Now there's a typo there. I can't look at it physically yet because my printer still isn't set up, so I'm just having to read off screen. Sometimes I let an S go in the place of a D, so... Put a D there. Preoccupied with malicious things. Well, what do you mean malicious things? Well, check out this text. Notice these Pharisees. Here they were in verse 11. The Pharisees came out again. As soon as he gets out of a boat, here these guys come hounding him. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking a sign from him to test him. Now, here's the thing about people who are always wanting a sign. If they get one, they won't believe it. How many had these guys already had? How many does it take? But here's the deal. They were preoccupied with malicious things. They were wanting to trap the Son of God. Now the Pharisees, they were preoccupied with legalism. Legalism, we know that. Legalism is, is wanting to live by rules. They were trying to catch Jesus breaking some remote portion of the law. He never did. Or violating the tradition of the fathers or something like that, which he paid no attention to, by the way. So here they were. They were focused. They were preoccupied with legalism. Now, if being preoccupied with material things leaves us with no spiritual perception, 
being preoccupied with legalism leaves us with no peace. No peace. Here's what I never want you to do. I never want you to become one of those types of believers that live by rules instead of a relationship with the Spirit of God. You live with a relationship, you don't have to worry. The Spirit of God in you will let you know if you're getting close to the edge. Am I right? But you live by rules and you're always wondering. You're always wondering, have I broken too many? Have I lost it already? You see what I'm saying? Man, there's no freedom in that. There's no peace in that. But here the Pharisees were preoccupied with legalism. Hence, that leaves us with no peace. But notice, he brings Herod into this discussion. He says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, the, the, the Pharisees were preoccupied with legalism. Herod and the Sadducees, let's lump them in, in there, they were preoccupied with liberalism. Liberalism. Now, I didn't have room on my outline, so you may want to write this down. Here's what a liberal does. It's what the Sadducees did. Liberal, uh, uh, Sadducees reject the Word of God. I mean, the only portion of the Scripture which they had, of the Torah, the writings, and the prophets, the only portion that they would accept was the Torah. So they reject the Word of God. And you know, liberals do that today. That's one of the hallmarks of liberalism is to reject or deny the Word of God. And here we see it, I mean, even with this, there's liberal scholars today that say, well, this was really just a mistake by Mark and he tried to cover his tracks by putting it in the mouth of Jesus and having us write it in red when a scribe later understood that Mark had made a mistake and he had given the same material twice. He just kind of had a, a, a scribe gave what's known as a scribal interpolation in order to cover his tracks. Hey, why don't we just let God's Word be God's Word and every man a liar? Huh? It's God's Word. And notice, I, I take it just the other way. Here's how I know this is two different scenarios altogether because Jesus Himself, in the questioning of them, He asked them, when I fed 5,000, how many baskets full did you pick up? So here's Jesus substantiating the fact that feeding of the 5,000, and then He says, when I broke... Seven for the 4,000, how many did you pick up? But a liberal will say, no, that's just a scribe in the third century trying to cover the tracks of Mark's mistake. I say that's liberalism. So the Sadducees, they denied the Word of God with their liberalism. Hey, can I say to you today, you're liable to string me up for this, but it's the 4th of July. Let's be a little bit patriotic. Let me tell you where liberalism has gotten us today. Can I? Is that all right? The United States today, because of liberalism, kills more babies than any other nation on this planet. Where does it stop? I have a friend who says you never give a liberal a cookie. Because if you give him one cookie, he'll take your whole pack and leave you with none. You cave in on one thing and we end up murdering more babies than any other planet, than any other, yeah, any other planet, than any other country on this planet. Do you know that because of liberalism, 
Last week in the state of Alabama, it is now illegal on a live birth certificate to list father and mother. Did you know that? Because that might be offensive to people who identify with the, op with, with, with the sex other than what God assigned them. You just have to do generic and put parents. Hey, it's the 4th of July. Can I go a little bit farther? Let me tell you what liberalism has done for us. Because of liberalism, we have athletes representing the United States of America in the 2020, that's a year late, Olympic Games in Tokyo who turn their back on the flag when the national anthem is played. Now, am I just somebody from the South who thinks that's wrong? Or should something be done about that? I mean, that's the country that gives you the right to be an idiot if you want to. But don't embarrass us all on television. What you going to do when you win a gold medal and they raise old glory? You going to turn around back while silver and bronze are facing her? How hypocritical. Here's what liberalism does. Liberalism leaves us with no power. Absolutely no power. It's where we are. Well, the Sadducees denied the Word of God. Herod, let's bring him into this. What did he do? He, did, he rejects the work of God. Remember, Herod saw a lot. Matter of fact, he was wanting to see Jesus because he heard so much. and He was kind of wanting to turn him into a sideshow. But no matter what Herod heard, no matter what he saw, he always rejected it. That's liberalism. Rejecting God's Word. Rejecting what God does. And notice what this does. Let me show you this. Here, here's, here's what's so bad about this. Check this out. And again, you probably didn't have room to put, or you, I didn't have room to put this on my outline, but notice what the Bible says in verse 11. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him, sighing deeply in his spirit. Hey, liberalism and legalism just exasperate the Lord. Here he is sighing deeply, groaning like, man, I can't believe you guys. Have you seen and not believed? Have you heard and you're not understanding? Where are you not getting this? Okay, I'm doing it again verbatim one more time. How many times have I got to do this before you get it? So it absolutely exasperates or exhausts the Lord. I mean, he was exhausted with it because folk just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. So sighing deeply, but notice that's not what's bad. Not only does it exhaust him or exasperate him, but let me tell you what else it'll do. Look at verse number 13. Leaving them. Are you with me? Just go ahead and steep in legalism or liberalism. And there's one thing I can promise you based on the authority of Scripture. You won't do it in the presence of Jesus. He'll leave. That's what he did. He walked away from them. I've got some buddies that still say, say that I'm antiquated. I'm a dinosaur. And you know why they say that? Because I still believe that the power of God's Word is the only thing that can convert and change and transform a human being's life. 
They say that I'm antiquated. I'm a dinosaur. I heard that just in the past couple of weeks. One of my friends told me that because I preach expositorily God's Word rather than coming and just telling stories that make you have your best life today. Hey man, listen. You take God's Word out of anything and there's no power in it. You take God's Word out of the church it ceases to be the church. And there are so many folk who have replaced God's Word with whatever they can find to entertain and draw a crowd. Dear God, I know a guy that has a mule that will jump 150 feet off a high dive platform. We can get him in here and attract a crowd. We ain't going to have a soul saved until somebody stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord. Well, there was my patriotic sermon for the day. Here we go. Notice what else the Bible says. The Bible says that sometimes spiritual vision comes in purposeful increments. Comes in purposeful increments. Now check this out. Did you notice that, uh, that healing story in verse 22 through 26? Do you think for a minute that Jesus did something the first time and it wasn't quite right and he had to go back and finish it? I don't think so. See, here's what he's doing. He's trying to get those blind disciples to see something. So he's teaching them a lesson here. And notice what he does when he begins to question them in verse 17 through 20 or 21. He asks them a series of rapid fire, seven questions that all get at the same point. How can you not see this? How can you not understand this? How can you not get this? So now he's going to demonstrate it to them one more time physically. So they bring this blind guy to him. Let me just point out in passing again that here's Jesus, the M.O. of Jesus. He didn't ever make a public spectacle out of anybody when he healed them, did he? He took this guy outside the city by himself. He wasn't in a healing crusade where somebody had to help him up on the stage and where he made a big display out of it. He just doesn't do things that way. He led this guy out in privacy, and probably his disciples were there. They were in the background because he was wanting to teach them something. So in the first go-round, he does something to this guy's eyes, and he says, all right, tell me what you see. And the guy says, well, I can see a little bit. I can see images. Man, that's progress for a blind person, isn't it? He said, I can see men, but they're kind of undistinguishable. They're walking around as trees. Jesus says, all right, one more time. Now again, I think Jesus, the first time he did it, it wasn't good enough. No, here's what he's teaching his disciples. Boys, sometimes spiritual vision comes little by little. But here's the deal. Y'all been walking with me now for nearly two years and y'all still blind as a bat. What's wrong with y'all? You see, here's how spiritual vision comes. Here's the way it comes with me, I, I, I find. Very few times somebody gets saved and immediately they have tremendous spiritual insight. Now, I've seen that happen. But most of the time, for most of us, it comes little by little through a process of walking with the Lord on a daily basis. Man, I know something about For instance, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Bill Cook, uh, we have read his book recently in, in Mark. That man has more scriptural insight 
in one guy, I think, than anybody else I know. He just has insight into the Word, both on a scholarly but yet practical level that'll just blow you away and slack-jaw you, brother. And you know how Bill Cook got that? Let me tell you how he got it. He got it little by little by little through a consistent walk with God. That's how he got it. He didn't just wake up one day and he was, he was Dr. Bill Cook. No, he, it was little by little by little. So Jesus says, all right, we'll touch you one more time. And he touched that guy and everything became crystal clear. See what he's teaching? He's teaching that if you want to see, it comes in purposeful bite-sized increments. Hey, the way you see more clearly tomorrow is respond positively to the light that he gives you today. That's the way it works. But every time he gives us a little bit of light and we say, no, nah, I'm just not going to do that, you know what you do? You close your eyes a little bit more and tomorrow you're going to be more blind. And who knows, but God's going to do something tomorrow that could be life-changing for you. And because you didn't respond to the light he gave you today, tomorrow you're going to walk right past it just like I did that chicken place that day. Because I was so tuned in on a John Deere store. Spiritual perception comes in purposeful increments. So let me give you this, and we're done. To be spiritually perceptive, what do you do? I mean, how is it that I can be sharp? How is it that I can miss nothing that God does in my life? And I have some friends like that as well. I, I, I have this couple that sits on the board of directors for our mission agency, and the reason they are there, or, 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 or she, the wife is there, at least on our board of directors, is because those people have walked with God for so long, they can see God in almost anything. And when I have a situation come up and I can't quite figure it out, guess who one of the first people I call is? It's RJ. Because she has the ability to look at something and say, have you ever thought of this? And I'm like, why couldn't I see that? And I'm telling you, it comes in increments from walking with God and tracking Him out over a long period of time. So how is it that you can be spiritually perceptive like that? How is it that I can be spiritually perceptive like that? Well, number one, write these down because this is a formula I'm going to give you. Number one, to be spiritually perceptive, remember. Remember. Look what it is that Jesus said in verse number 18. Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? There it is right there. So step number one is remember. You know, one of the things that I tell folk when they're going through something is get you a journal. Doesn't matter what it is you're going through. It might be leukemia. It might be something completely opposite of the spectrum. It might be something good. But get you a journal. And you write down every day what God does. I'm not good at this, but thank the Lord my wife is. And in the process of moving, we found some of her old journals. Because when we went to seminary, I mean, we quit jobs, we sold out, we were in all the way. There was no plan B, and God was either going to provide bread for us or we were going to starve to death. So Heather begins to journal. We pull that old journal out. Here's why it takes us so long to move. 
Because we're packing up what I consider to be junk in the attic, which we're just going to haul to the... To the, to the uh, yeah, haul to the dump anyway. Every little item that Heather pulls out, we have to sit down and study it <laughs> and reminisce. Am I the only one or guys or y'all's wives do that too? Y'all ain't going to say, you're smarter than me. You ain't saying a word, are you? <laughs> Look at here. <laughs> she pulled out that book and she can look through there and, and, and here's an entry. We were down to almost being overdrawn in the checking account. And in the mailbox today came an unexpected refund from the power company. <laughs> you think those things are coincidental? Went to the grocery store today. The meat manager gave me two for one because one of them was expired for free. You see what I'm saying? You take that journal and look and see what God did in our life while we're in seminary and I'll, I'll never worry about a can of potted meat again in my life because God provides. He just does. Remember it. Here's the problem. We have a memory problem. And the problem is we remember things that we ought to forget. Huh? Things that God doesn't even remember anymore because He cast them behind His back. He buries them under the sea. He remembers them no more, the Word says. Hey, we're good at remembering those. You, you remember every time you messed up. Maybe because the devil reminds you of it, huh? But we remember the bad things, but the good things we can't remember. I don't know why that is. And we use that as an excuse so many times. Well, you know, I just can't remember. Oh, you, you can remember. You are a human being created in God's image. We have the ability, but we just don't want to sometimes. Huh? I mean, we just, we just got a problem remembering, especially the good things that God does. And Jesus says, if you want to, have to be spiritually sharp, number one, remember. I think that extends to everything that he's ever done. And after you get through going through that resume of everything that God's done to get you where you are today, there'll be no way we can doubt that He's not going to let us sink in the future, huh? I was like, number one, if you're going to be spiritually perceptive, number one, remember. Number two, refocus. Refocus. Notice what this blind man did. I like this. Notice what the Scripture says down there in verse number 25. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently. That is the blind man, not Jesus. He looked intently. That means he was wanting to see. This was his opportunity, so he was straining. He was trying to focus his eyes. So here's how you get to be spiritually perceptive. Number one, remember. Number two, refocus, refocus, refocus. Hey, listen. If you're having trouble seeing, if materialism has blinded you, if malicious things like legalism and liberalism have blinded you, and if you hadn't seen that that's taken us down the wrong road, man, you better get your head out of your sandbox. Because, yeah, y'all thought, you bunch of dirty-minded Baptists, y'all thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? Y'all need to repent. <laughs> Look, if you've been blinded, been pre this thing here, let me just put it out of the way. What do you say? 
Don't let me forget that. I'll step on it. Don't step on it, Adam, Evan. <laughs> if you've been blinded by preoccupations of, with materialism and other things, here's what you do. You refocus. You push the reset button. Try to reset your spiritual vision. Number three, if you're going to be spiritually set, perceptive, remember, refocus. Number three, realize. I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to them. Realize what? Realize who you're dealing with. You are dealing with Jesus Christ, God incarnate. There's nothing that He can't do. There's nothing that He can't provide. There's no limit to His love for you. All of that goes into the mix of having spiritual perception. And then finally, here's the last part of that formula. Remember, refocus, realize, and then finally, return. Get back to that place. Because here's what I know. I know that when you were born again, here's what happened to you. One of the many things that happened to you was that all of a sudden you were given spiritual vision. Boom. And all of a sudden you saw some things you've never seen before. Some things started making sense. And somehow in the process we tend to get off track. So return, get back to that place. You know, we started with a commercial. Let me end with a commercial. Years ago, Catholic diocese. I don't agree with their theology, but this was a pretty good commercial. Catholic diocese ran a, ran a commercial on TV that said this. When you pray, does God seem farther away? Well, who do you think moved? So return. See, because here's what I know. You cannot be spiritually perceptive if you're living outside of God's will. You can't be spiritually perceptive if you're living long from Him. The way you have spiritual perception is to live in His presence. So, so to so to quote Dr. Johnny Hunt, here's what you do. You stay close and you stay clean. And you'll be able to see. And Lord have mercy, there's enough traps out there we need to be able to see. Where are you today? Maybe you need to remember, refocus, realize, and return. Get to where you need to be in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, whatever returning looks like today, may it. For some of us, God.